Welcome to the Access Church Podcast. Today we're going to get into the Word of God. And today we are going to start a new sermon series called The Greatest of These. Now this, this series is going to be based on what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13, what I like to call the love chapter. How many of y'all like the love chapter? Amen. And, and the title of today's, I know, pray for a, a better pastor, but until then, you got me. The title of today's message is called Love Is. Somebody say love is. You know, I think that we could all agree that, that love is something that we all seek, that we desire to have in our lives. And I believe that God created each and every one of us with this innate, unique desire to love, but also to be loved. You know, you can meet the most wealthiest person in the world that might have the most sought-after positions or possessions, but if that person lacks love, essentially, they have nothing. You know, people search their, their whole lives for love. And oftentimes, just as the good old country song says, looking for love in all the wrong places. Y'all know it. Don't act like y'all y'all so holy and sanctified. Y'all know that. Looking for love and all. I, I should have been a country singer, right? Maybe I'll try out for the worship team next time. But it says, looking for love in all the wrong places and looking for love in all the wrong faces. Now, there are songs written about love. There are books written about love, poems written about love, movies written about love and all based on man's ideas or or perception about love and what man believes that love is now love is the greatest commodity in all the world the summum bonum of life that that one thing that we all are looking for that we all are striving for now could it be that the reason we we are unable to find love is because we really do not know what love is somebody say love is so how can you find something if you don't know what it is how can you how can you identify that thing if you don't know what it is and so how can you find love if you can't truly identify what love is and the world through movies art literature and music have given us a distorted picture of what love truly is and we as believers we should be the essence the epitome of love here on the on, on the earth the world and all the people around us should get a clear depiction and picture of what love is from us and through us in fact, the Apostle Paul writes in Romans chapter 13, verse 8, he says, Owe nothing to anyone except for your obligation to love one another. Here Paul is writing to the church. He's talking to the church at Rome. He, he, he's telling you, owe nothing to anyone except for your obligation. There is this implication that you as, as a believer, you as a Christian, you as a son and daughter of the king, that you have this moral, ethical, civic responsibility to love one another. And this is what he goes on to say. If you love your neighbor, then you will fulfill 
the requirements of God's law. I, I love what he's, he's making this statement. Don't get caught up in the weeds of all the do's and the don'ts of God's law. It all comes down to this. If you can find it within yourself, within your heart, just to love people, then you've already fulfilled the law because if you love people, then you're automatically going to align everything else in your life. And he is saying here that love is the fulfilling of of the whole law that love is the high point of everything that love is that number one ingredient in life in terms of attuning your life to the character of God unfortunately it's sad to say love as urgent as it is as important as, as it is as divine as it is is very frequently missing from God's own people the church. We, God's people, we should be the epitome and the essence of love here on the earth. And one of the great depictions of that is it, the church in the city of Corinth, a church in which existed all of the multiplicity of spiritual gifts, a wealth of human teachers ranging all the way from the Apostle Paul to Apollos and many others, the finest teaching, a great grasp on doctrine, a great facility for reaching the lost in a strategic city. And with everything that they had going for them, with all of their religious and, and pious activity, Paul is telling them, that they have nothing and are doing nothing because they were doing everything without love. And that is why, inspired through the unction of the Holy Spirit, Paul begins to pen the love chapter. Look at what he writes in 1 Corinthians. Thank you for those who laughed. You get an extra donut. Verse 1 through 3 says, If I could speak all the languages of, of the earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. How many of you old people remember the gong show? D don't lie. All right, thank you. I barely remember it. But. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. Verse 3, if I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my own body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Here Paul is telling the church in Corinth, yes, you do all these amazing things. You can prophesy. You can teach. You can preach. You can give you can sacrifice but it all comes down to whether or not you do those things in love and if you do those things outside of the context of love then essentially you're doing it in vain it it, it adds up to nothing because love is the most important commodity and thing that we could offer to the world see anything we do without love adds up to nothing and here the Apostle Paul is pointing out to them the urgency and the necessity of love. And as important as it is, it's a very strange thing that it has been found so difficult for the church to truly demonstrate true, genuine, authentic love. And, and when God was, was, was dealing with me about starting a church, some of you know the story that I had, I, I, I had no desire to ever pastor 
my own church. That was not something that, that I wanted to do. I was involved in other areas and activities of ministry, but I never saw myself as, as a lead pastor starting my own church. And, and, and I remember when God began to stir up within me, and it was a morning, early morning, I was out walking, and he began to move, and I began to think, okay, God. And I asked him this question. I said, God, why another church? At the time, I was living in Del Rio. Forgive me for that. I didn't know any better. Just kidding, Del Rio Peeves. At the time, there were 98 churches in the city of Del Rio. And, and I remember asking God, there's 98 churches, about 40,000 people. Why another church? Why, why start another church? And I remember clearly hearing the Holy Spirit say, it's because your church would be a different kind of church. Your church would be different than any other churches. And as I began to think and, and meditate and pray and contemplate on what Access Church would be and, and how Access Church would be. And, and so I began to sit down and I remember penning out different statements that, that, would, that would give us a, a clear sense of identity and direction. And I said, okay, what is the mission of Access Church? What are we going to be about? What is going to be our focus and our priority? And I wrote several things down and finally Finally, one day, one morning, I wrote this statement. I said, Axis Church will be focused on leading people to Christ. When I clearly heard the Holy Spirit says, uh-uh, you're not going to lead people to Christ. You are going to love people to Christ. Because the church has been devoid of love. We get so caught up in our religious paradigms, in our religious ideologies and philosophies. And we make it more about the routine and about the ritual than making it about the people. And that's what God's heart is. God's heart isn't about religion. God's heart isn't about routine. It isn't about liturgy. God's heart is to love people. That's why the Bible says in John 3, 16, for God so loved. He wasn't looking to start a church, a religion. He was looking to create a relationship of love between himself and people. And unfortunately, the church has done anything but that. Been devoid of love. And as I began to hear those words resonate, no, you're not going to lead people to Christ. You're going to love people to Christ. And I knew then that Axis Church would be a church characterized by the love that we have for people, no matter who they are, no matter what situation they are in, where, where, where they are from, that we would love people exactly for who they are and wherever they are in their faith journey. And that is how we got our mission statement, loving people into an authentic, relevant, and maturing relationship with Jesus Christ, or what we have our short-form version that simply says, Access Church is about loving people to Christ. Now, you know, the greatest compliment that, that I get in regards to our church. It's not about how great our worship is. It's not uh, how great maybe the preaching is. It's not how, how great the coffee and donuts are. But the one compliment that I love to hear, and it's something that we get to hear over and over, that people say, Pastor, I've been to many other churches, but this is the one church where I felt most loved and welcomed in my life. And when I hear those words, I said, yes, that's what we're doing. We're accomplishing what God set out for us to do. 
Have we missed the mark? I'm sure we have. Have we failed at times? Yes, we have. But overall, I think in general, we have definitely been a church that knows how to love people. But unfortunately, many of the people have been hurt because the church has been devoid of love and has completely misrepresented the Father. See, if we're going to accurately represent who God is, then we've got to know what love is, or, or better yet, better stated, we have to know who love is. So the first thing that we've got to know, love is God. Look at what the, the Apostle John writes in 1 John 4, 7 and 8. He says, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another. For love comes from God, and anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Love is God. God is love. And so here the Apostle John, the one who self-identifies himself as John the Beloved, we know he didn't have a self-esteem problem. Or, or he calls himself John, the one whom Jesus loved. He has a clear understanding of what love truly is. And John, like the apostle Paul, is making clear to the believers that the prominence of love, that love has to take a, a, a prominent and priority place in our lives, that everything we have to do in love. And I love what he says here. He starts off, he says, let us continue to love one another. Now notice he doesn't make any exceptions on whom we should love or when we should love or when we should stop loving. He clearly says, let us continue to love one another. Not only if we agree on everything, not only if we get along, but in spite of anything, love between us should never cease whether people talk about us lie about us disparage us demean us backstab us hurt us turn their backs on us we must continue to love one another and the question is why because love comes from God and anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God see one of the clearest indicators of your level of relationship to God and with God, it's not how many times you go to church. It's not how much you, how much you put in the, in the giving box. It, it's not what you do for the community. The greatest indicator of the level of relationship between you and God is the level of love that you have towards people. Now notice he's not saying love the lovable because anybody can love the lovable. Anybody can love those that are good to them, that treat them kindly, that, that, that you know, might think like them, might root for the same football team as them. It's easy to treat those people with, with love, those that even believe in the, in the same, it, it, maybe they have the same religion and the same religious faith belief that we have. But if you notice, there's no exception on who John says that we need to love or when we need to stop loving. He's clearly saying we must continue to love no matter what, no matter how people treat us, no matter how people hurt us, no matter how, how people turn their back on us, we must continue to love. Why? Because because love comes from God. And anyone who is a child of God must love people. In other words, God is the source of love. And if we are going to accurately represent God, then we must continue to love. Now God 
How does God love us? God doesn't love us only when we do right or we're doing the right thing. But no matter what, God continues to love us even when we fail him, even, even when we drop the ball, even when we turn our back on him. If you notice when, when, when Peter denied him or Judas uh, uh, betrayed him, Jesus did not stop loving Peter. He didn't, he didn't when, when he rose from, from, from the grave and came back and, and Peter's like, hey man, my bad. No, Jesus didn't say, oh no. You're no, you're no longer part of my team, man. You, you denied me three times. Three strikes and you're out. Jesus demonstrated that no matter what, no matter what they did to him, he still loved. What were his famous words on the cross? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now that sounds like a person who knows how to love. And in fact, the Bible says it this way in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. It said, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. In fact, the word that Paul and John employ here for love is, is agape. Now, for us in English, even in Spanish, we, we, we only have that one word love. But in the Greek, there are actually four different definitions or depictions of love. But the one that they choose to use is agape. That, that word agape means it's an unconditional love. It's not, it's not a love that, that, that seeks its own interest. It's not transactional. It's a love that is transformational. And so when we look at that, it's a clear depiction of God's love for us. And that is telling us that God's love is unconditional it's not based on our performance but it's based on his goodness and that is how you and I that is how you and I should love everyone around us those that do good to us those that don't good to us those that desire harm to us we need to love like like he loves yeah and, and, and yes I know that that it is much easier said than done especially like when they block you on Instagram like that's low Yes, I know it's, it's easier to say to love because you're, you're thinking, but God, do you know what he did or, or what she did? Remember that famous conversation that Jesus had with Peter? And Peter, he was religious. He, he, want, he, was, he was a rule follower. He wanted, he, he wanted to know exactly. And do you remember when he asked Jesus, like, okay, how many times are we supposed to forgive because he wanted to make sure, like, if it was 10, that, that was Peter's limit. It would be 10. Like, after 11, that's it. You're on your own. And Jesus tells him, no, you've got to forgive 70 times 7. In other words, it doesn't matter how times they hurt you. It doesn't matter how many times they fail you. You've got to keep forgiving. You've got to keep on loving. And, and so this is God's love for us. It, it, it's unconditional. And yes, I know it's so much easier to stand up here and pontificate and to preach it and to say it. And you're thinking, but God, do you know what he did to me? Or do you know what she did? Do you not see what they put me through? But let me tell you, there is no exception to love. That's why John says... Let us continue to love. And then in verse 8, he says, because God is love. So love is not a feeling. Love is not an emotion. Love is not an attitude. Love is a person. And love is God. And he's saying that God does not have love. 
but that God is the very essence and source of all true and genuine love. And you can only know true love if you know God. The second thing that we see here in Scripture is that love is not only God, but love is action. Now, as I mentioned, the word that, that Paul uses throughout this passage of Scripture for love is agape. And, and we, we know that that is the strongest, most grandiose word, the loftiest word, and, and probably the most fully defining word to speak of this particular type of love. And, and so that's the word that Paul and even John uh, choose to employ here. And people throughout the centuries have tried to define love. You know, they, they, they want Peter, like they want to know the limit, like how far am I required by the law to love? But you'll never get the true definition of love until you've read 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 to 7. Because therein we find the most complete and comprehensive description of love ever penned. And, and the reason that I say that is because this is God's own personal definition of love. But more than a definition, it's really a, a description. In fact, if you want to get be technical about it the bible bible never defines love how could how could you ever define how could you ever confine love to a certain feeling attitude or or an emotion but the bible never defines love it it, it never defines love in terms of abstracts in terms of attitudes in terms of feelings in terms of ideology or in terms of emotion it never defines love it only describes love in action because love is not an abstract love is not a feeling. Love is not really an attitude. Love is a deed. Love is an activity. Love is action. Somebody say, love is action. And to support that, I want to point something out to you that if, unless you read this passage in the original Greek language, you wouldn't be aware of, of its context. So let's read it. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. It says, Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. Don't look at your wife, okay? <laughs> or your husband when he's angry. And it keeps no record of being wrong. Isn't it crazy that when you argue with somebody, you argue with your spouse, all of a sudden they remind you what you did back in 1984. Like, you're like, girl, you failed history, but how do you remember all these dates? <laughs> well, back in 1998, you said and you did. And here the Bible is saying clearly that where there's love, you keep no record of wrongs. But some of us need a little work in that area. <laughs> Verse 6. It does not rejoice about injustice, but it rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. Love never loses faith. Is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. I, I love what goes on to say that love never fails. And when you look at the normal scriptural rendering in English or even in Spanish of this passage, it says love is patient, love is kind, love is this, love is not that. And when you read it in English, you see that love is being described in terms of adjectives. But 
when you read it in the original Greek language, they don't use or employ adjectives. These are all verbs. He's, he's describing action. He's describing activity. So love is not something you describe with ad adjectives. Love is something you describe with verbs, with action, because love is only described. It is not defined. Love is only love when it acts out, when it when it is demonstrated. It's not something that you say. Why do you think your wife will ask you after 25 years, do you love me? Y'all know you dread that question. Because right in your mind, you're going, okay, what did I do? What did I say? What did I, you're already thinking, okay, I'm in trouble. And what do most men respond? Of course, didn't I tell you back in when we got married? You're like, don't you remember, like, remember that one day, like, 30 years ago when we got married? I told you, right? If something changed, I'll let you know. But until then, we're good. <laughs> Why? Because love is an action. She's not asking you to say it. She's asking you to show it. Because love is not words, but love is action. All the ladies, you're welcome. So love is not something you describe with adjectives. Love is something that you demonstrate with activity. I'm going to say that again. Love is not something you describe with adjectives. Love is something that you demonstrate through activity. If love is love, love has to be shown through action. And so the Bible never defines love. It only describes it. And the description here that we find is the most beautiful, the most comprehensive. In fact, every one of these 15 perfections or qualities of love that Paul employs or, or uses here in verses 4 to 7, they're, they're, they're given us uh, as a guideline. Paul is saying, okay, if you really want to show love, this is what love is. But if you notice, every one of them is a verb that is acting. Why? Because love is action. Number three, love is God. Love is action. And somebody say, love is everything. The Corinthian church had missed the boat desperately. Because in all of the flurry of activity that they had going on in the church. They were a busy church. They were a thriving church. But they got so caught up in their religious paradigms. They got so caught up in the ritual, in the routine. They got so caught up trying to please God through, 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 through deeds instead of doing God's heart, which was loving people. And, and so this is what the Apostle Paul, once again, he reiterates. Verse 1, if I could speak all the languages of the earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, yes, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Paul wants them to understand that love is a necessary reality, that love is something that we as children of God, as believers, should be 
clearly demonstrated in our life and anything we do outside of the context of love essentially adds up to nothing we are we are just making noise and I think that's what the world is tired of they're tired of hearing a church that is preaching at them yes you're speaking the truth yes you're 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 telling them the reality of sin but we should never do that without the context of love I think that we would get so much further in the world instead of preaching at people if we would only show them the clear love of God and that's why access church is different I remember years ago I was serving at a at a at a different church I was the executive pastor it was a Sunday morning people were coming in and the head usher who was a guy that God saved brought him out of the the gang life from the Mexican mafia drug dealer he was messed up, tore up from the floor up, jacked up from the back up, and wrecked up from the... I'll go on Eminem on y'all. I practiced that all day yesterday, okay? I didn't want to get gonged. But now he's been saved and he's sanctified. And he comes to me all disgusted and disturbed, says, Pastor... There's a young man outside smoking in front of God's house. Should I run him off? Because this is God's house. God's house is holy. Should I? I'll, I'll, you tell me and I'll tell him to leave. I said, he's smoking at God's house. It's like when people want to be holy, they lower their voice. God's house. He goes, yeah. I mean, he was totally disgusted and disturbed. Pastor, tell me what to do, and I'll do it. I'll, I'll send him out because we, we should. What are people going to say? And I remember I said, I can't believe he's doing that, but this is what I want you to do. Yeah, Pastor, tell me what to do. I want you to go outside, and I want you to talk to him while he finishes his cigarette. And after he's done, I want you to invite him in and come sit down with him in church. You don't want me to run him off? No. Like, imagine that. That's like running people that are sick away from a hospital. How dare you come to the hospital? You're all sick and stuff, spreading your viruses. But think about it. We get so caught up in our religious paradigms in our religious constructs that we forget where God pulled us out of. Imagine if someone were to run us off. Imagine what it said, oh, we don't take your kind here. When, when, you, when you fix yourself and you get your life and your, your, your act all together, then come back to church. Then we'll accept you. No, could you imagine where you would be if someone wouldn't have the love of God towards your life? Imagine how many times in places that same situation and scenario took place? I was at another church where we were there, and yes, I understand there's there's social constructs and social mores that we that we carry. And I told you, Axis Church is a different church, and you know you might be here someday and see. Adam wearing a boina or Gus wearing a cap on the altar. <laughs> and I remember serving in the church and one of my, my uncles who was estranged from the Lord, grew up in the church but chose to leave. 
one day he decided to show up to church. And one of the head demons, I mean the deacons, <laughs> um, he came, sat in the back, and he was wearing a cap. And one of the head deacons walks up to him, taps him on the shoulder, whispers in his ear. And all I saw was my uncle take off his hat, put it down, sat there for a little bit. He got up and walked out and never came back to church again. I'm sure God was happy. I'm sure God said, oh, that's my son. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for, how dare him wear a hat in church? No. I don't think that's God's attitude. God's like, no, I don't care how he comes. Let him come. As long as he's here in the house of God, that's all that matters. We have to be a church that loves people for who they are and where they are. And I think sometimes we can get caught up like the, the church in Corinth, the Corinthians, and, and be all religious and pious and devout in our activities and doing this, doing that, worship, dance, children's ministry, audio, video, couples event, and yet we don't have love. God's like, that's not what this is about. See, everything we should do, everything we do needs to be motivated in love. Love should be a prominent part of our everyday lives. And let me tell you this, you should not only love people when you come to church you should love them on the road you should love them at HEB you should love them in Walmart you should love them in school your life as a believer should characterize and demonstrate God's love and not just those that are lovable it's anyone can love those that are lovable we need to love those that no one else will love see it doesn't matter I'm going to close with this it doesn't matter what you do it doesn't matter what I do if we do not have love, it essentially adds up to nothing. Imagine having a day like this, record attendance. I haven't even seen the numbers yet, but I can already tell. Record attendance. And to be so proud of what we've accomplished, of where we're at. And God looking down, yeah, but you don't love people. And this is my challenge. This is my heart. At Access Church, I want to be a church that loves people. I want to be a place where people that are broken, lost, hurting, divorced, depressed, possessed, tatted, ratted, dirty, filthy, inside and out, that they could come into this place not feel judged or criticized I remember reading a story not too long ago in a magazine and the pastor was penning something very similar to what I'm preaching today and it was in the 70s during the whole Jesus movement all the hippies were doing their thing the hippies were famous for not bathing not wearing deodorant Coming in barefoot, long hair, grenudos. That's the Greek word. Um, and this hippie comes into this very traditional church. Walks in, the pastor's in the middle of preaching, and he's doing everything that we know you should not do. And he walks in, and everybody's looking at him. And he comes, 
and he sits down. I was going to say Indian style, but we don't say that anymore. Crisscross applesauce right here in the front. And everybody's looking at him like disgusted. Like, how could you do that? You're breaking protocol. You're, that's not how things are supposed to be done. And he comes in and sits down and everybody's looking at him like, who is this guy? Did you invite him? Oh, I would not invite people like that. When all of a sudden, one of the elders of the church dressed in a three-piece suit and a tie gets up and all the people are like, oh, okay, yeah, he's going to take care of this guy. He's going to put him in his place where he should go. And you know what the elder did? He got up from his seat, walked up, and he came and he sat down next to that young man that was sitting there. See, two things could have happened that day. The elder could have walked up, told him, sorry, you're out of order. That's not how we do things here. Go clean up, get a haircut, put on some shoes, then come back. But what he chose to do was what Jesus would have done. He chose to love. And that's the kind of church that I want Access Church to be. Yes, we're going to have people that break protocol that they don't know, their kids may not know, and, and now we don't see it. But when we were at the storefront, it was crazy. And some religious people would get all uptight because that's not how you do things at church. I remember I'd be preaching and people would literally walk right in front of me with a donut and coffee like they're at the movies. <laughs> yeah, you remember that, right, Lily? Like three plates. And they're like, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. And I'm in there preaching my heart out. Excuse me, excuse me. You know, we could paraphrase this passage this way. Verse 1, the loveless person produces nothing of value, just noise. The love, verse 2, the loveless person is himself of no value. He says, I am nothing. Verse 3, the loveless person receives nothing of value. It profits me nothing. Everything we do as believers and Christians, we should do in love. We should serve in love. We should give in love. We should pray in love. We should praise in love. We should live in love. Can you imagine how different our lives or how different our world, how different our church would be if we would love the way God loves? Why? Because if we have love, we have everything to offer. Can we be a church in 2024? that loves the way God loves. You accept the challenge with me? Will you do me a favor? Will you stand as we close? Lord, we love you. We thank you today. God, first of all, we thank you for your faithful example of true, authentic, genuine, unconditional love. God, because your word says, while we were still yet sinners, you showed and demonstrated your love for us. God, you didn't wait for us to get cleaned up. You didn't get wait for us to get good. You didn't wait for us to, to, to have everything in line and in place. God, you chose to love us right where we're at. God, and I pray 
And my prayer is that we as a church, as a body, as a family of believers, that our lives will reflect your light and your love everywhere we go. God, help us to love, to choose to love, to determine, to decide to love. Every day we get to make that choice. God, and I pray that every day we would choose to love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you guys. Thank you. all Thank you for joining us. And a special thanks to those who have given to support this ministry. Without you, none of this is possible. If you like this podcast, please like and subscribe and share it on social media. Thank you for listening. God bless you.